This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Lit Lit Show on Thursday, the 28th of September. I'm your host, Paul Hazard. And on tonight's show, we have the absolutely wonderful Dan Rebellato. Let's get to it. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show this evening. Oh, the nights are getting darker. It's pitch black here as I look out on Northern Ireland on what was a horrible wet day as well. So you'll have heard in the introduction there, I'm really delighted to have Dan Ribbonato with it. You've been... Oh my goodness, there I'm playing the introduction again. That's my first mistake. And I think I can see, Dan, you're in the studio, are you? I am in the studio. Ah, it's great to hear from you. That's lovely clear sound (laughs) and everything as well. What's the weather like with you, Dan? Uh, It's supposed to start raining quite soon. I'm in London, by the way, but it is also pitch black. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose it's getting to that time of the year, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is indeed. Dan, we're going to take a minute and we're just going to listen to the week's news and we'll be right back after these messages. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes EDAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is considering significant reform of A-levels in England, which, according to the BBC, could see the introduction of what it calls a new British baccalaureate. The PM's plans could include the compulsory study of maths and English up to the age of 18, as reported in the Daily Telegraph. It's not the first time Mr Sunak has considered a shake-up, having previously said during an unsuccessful leadership campaign last year that he wanted all young people to study maths to 18. Foreign Office Minister Andrew Mitchell told BBC Radio 4 that he expects Mr Sunak to agree to reform of the education system and said the government will be guided by the best expertise on how we ratchet up standards. Concern about any proposed changes have already been raised by unions and other post-16 professional associations, particularly around the existing issues of recruitment, retention and concerns around workload. A spokesperson for the Sixth Form Colleges Association said the post-16 curriculum was narrow by international standards, and this was partly reflective of chronic underinvestment in Sixth Form education since 2010. The BBC also features an article on the fall in numbers of students being accepted into universities in the UK, the first fall in five years. Applications also fell after demand rose during the pandemic. Fewer students got into their first choice of university this year, but more qualified for their second choice or accepted places through clearing. The new data from UCAS shows 270,350 UK 18-year-olds were accepted onto a course this year, down from 275,390 in 2022. 
UCAS says the figures show a return to normal growth following the surge of demand seen during the pandemic. Data for individual <coughs> universities is not yet available. Last week on Teachers Talk Radio News, we featured reaction to the latest data published on suspensions and exclusions. In a linked story, Schools Week has published further analysis, this time focusing on data from schools linked to incoming Ofsted Chief Inspector, Sir Martin Oliver. The analysis reported in the article suggests the Outwood Grange Academy's Trust secondaries excluded twice as many pupils as other schools in some of their regions. At a pre-appointment hearing before the Education Committee last month, Sir Martin was challenged by MPs over the Trust's high suspension rates. Sir Martin responded, our figures for permanent exclusions are lower than most in the areas in which we work. Schools Week says the data for the Trust's 13 secondary schools in Yorkshire and Humber had a 0.31 exclusion rate, the equivalent of three in every 1,000 pupils compared to 0.17 across the region's other secondaries. In the northeast, the Trust 7 secondaries had a rate of 0.64 compared to 0.3 in others. Kim Johnson, the only committee MP to vote against the appointment of Sir Martin, said he should be brought back to answer for his words. Frank Norris, an education advisor for the Northern Powerhouse Partnership, said the original comments could be viewed as misleading. A trust spokesperson told Schools Week that Sir Martin was comparing exclusion rates between some individual outward schools to some of the other schools in the same local authorities with similar profiles. Spokesperson also added that the schools had been underperforming for years and had now been transformed by the trust. More details of the Schools Week analysis and full commentary can be found online. In Ireland, the Irish Independent reports on what it calls radical changes in how students are assessed as being on the way in a move to combat the threat of AI platforms such as ChatGPT. Higher education colleges are already being told to abandon certain forms of assessment because they are no longer sufficiently robust to award scores which count towards official grades. These include do-at-home assignments or essays, unsupervised online assessments and multiple choice quizzes which are conducted online. There will be greater reliance on oral assessments to check understanding and systems to identify if students have cheated by using AI. However, colleges are being told to resist any temptation to switch back to traditional end-of-semester formal exams. Instead, they should consider short-term re-weighting of assessments whilst they formulate a long-term plan. Finally, this week saw Education Secretary Gillian Keegan comment in the House of Commons that children she had visited in schools affected by poor quality concrete, known as RAC, had been petitioning me to stay in the porter cabin because they preferred it to the actual classroom. Ms Keegan's comments were met with derision by many, saying it showed a chronic lack of understanding of the poor quality facilities schools had been using for many years particularly since the cancellation of the project to rebuild many schools. However, Downing Street defended the comments, saying it reflected a conversation with children and that the department and leaders had worked hard to make sure children had been unaffected by the current challenge. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes EDAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. So, welcome back everybody after the news. And as I say, this evening we have Dan Rebellato. Now, in case you don't know who Dan is, well, shame on you for a start. But Dan is a leading audio dramatist. 
He's Professor of Contemporary Theatre at the Royal Holloway University. And he has written 27 audio plays for Radio 4. The most recent came out last week. It's still on BBC Sounds. You can listen there. He's been shortlisted for so many awards, including Sony Awards, BBC Audio Awards, and so on. Um, and his audio drama, uh, You and Me, won the Silver Award at the Arias in 2022. He was the lead writer on the uh, Emil Zomala epic, which ran for uh, almost two years. And he's working on series two of Exemplar. He also has a huge repertoire as a, a theatre dramatist as well, although this evening we're just going to focus on audio drama. So Dan, with all of that, what's a typical day like for you? Oh, well, uh, I would I, I I would say there isn't a typical day, really. <laughs> of course uh, not. <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously, my my day job is that I work in a university. So uh, in term time, what I'm basically doing is, you know, doing lectures and running seminars and, and things like things like that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, busy, <laughs> no doubt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how did you come to have an interest then and maybe particularly in, in audio drama? Uh, that's a really interesting question i mean i i didn't when i was growing up we didn't have radio 4 on in the house so it wasn't as if i was brought up on a diet of the of the archers um in fact it, they asked me to do a little introduction to uh the 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 radio play that you you mentioned slow air that was on last week and one of the things i thought about when i was i was thinking about where this with this kind of interest in audio drama came from was actually uh my mum playing bob dylan uh mm -hmm. which she did obsessively uh in the house so that i was brought up on bob dylan and the, particularly there are a couple of songs of his that are very very intricate narrative songs uh mm -hmm. there's one from the blood on the tracks album called lily rosemary and the jack of hearts which tells a kind of multi-stranded very complicated mythic story about kind of love and rivalry and wealth and prestige and celebrity um and you know as when i was quite young i guess i was been about eight i i listened to that over and over again, trying to kind of understand the story. And in a way, I suppose I was, I was listening to a radio drama, at least an audio yeah. drama. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and Dylan has a way of doing that, isn't he? I mean, he does write stories, really little kind of vignettes and, and he kind of puts them to music. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and he does the particularly brilliant thing because of course he's he's an extraordinary writer but he does that yeah. thing of of giving you these incredible images that what they do is they populate your imagination so you know um you know the 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 image of you know uh, a, a a house with a woman's face in every window uh that comes from the, yeah. the ballad of frankie lee and judas priest you know those yeah. sort of things as a kid uh yeah. Actually, I'll be honest, they gave me nightmares, some of these images. They were so vivid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, of course, he is a Nobel laureate, which came as a surprise to many. Um, <laughs> but I suppose there are, you know, a, a, an equal number of people, maybe of a different ilk or calibre, an equal number of people, if not more, who thought it was very, very, very well deserved. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a very welcome moment for, the, for, the, for, for that, that committee to extend what they understood as being literature yeah mm -hmm. yeah but well i think yes yeah his songs are definitely literate there's no doubt about that and maybe not in the traditional form you know it's not you know shamazini or or whatever but yeah yeah um this the song you mentioned um um gosh it's just gone out of my head oh, lily rosemary in the jack of hearts yeah, exactly exactly and I remember listening to that. I would have been very young as well when I first heard it. And uh, I, I wouldn't have had the grasp that you've had of it. 
but I do remember a line from it. And the oh, yeah. line from it is Big Jim lay covered up, killed by a penknife in the back. Penknife in the back. There was just, that, that was just so real. I could see yeah. Big Jim lying in the grass. I could see the pen knife. And we all had pen knives, of course, in those days. We thought we were, <laughs> you know, we were all cowboys and Indians or whatever. But that was just so vivid. You know, it was absolutely, you yeah. know, you could yeah. feel it, really. Yeah. And the song is full of those images. I mean, it's, a, it is, it's an amazing, it is. amazing it example. Is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, no, fantastic. Yeah. So that's. Gosh, that's amazing. Now, that's how you came to to audio drama. That's very, very interesting. Yeah. I've kind of always had, you know, an interest in, in audio drama and, and, and things as well. It's funny, you know, when I do a little bit of homework on, on you, I kind of think I have an interest. And then when I do a little bit of homework on you, I think, oh, my goodness, no, no. <laughs> uh, the amount of knowledge and, and so on that I have is, is really trivial. But um, I suppose my way, well, I think, first of all, my father would have, he would have grown up on, on things like the Goon shows and, and things like that. Oh, yeah. He would occasionally, you know, um, we would have listened to those of an evening or, or whatever. And then age 11 uh, in 1974, I went off to boarding school. Now, oh. that was the age of the wee transistor radio and you would have had it under your pillow and you would have had a single kind of earpiece going into your ear and you know you'd be afraid that the, the the supervisors or whatever would catch you and you'd be listening to radio luxembourg and and all of that and all of those things you know pop music glam rock was 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 huge but radio luxembourg and so on didn't play kind of the more progressive rock that i liked you'd have got the occasional you know but yes genesis pink floyd and and, and so on you know so i my mother bought me a tape recorder, ah. uh, you know, no cassette um, yeah, yeah. tape recorder, and um, that would have had um, video plays on it. And I would have had that under the bed and the, the earpiece coming up and into my ear. Oh, um, wow. And I, I do think, I do think that's, you know, I do think that's where my interest came. Yeah. And that's, I think that's really interesting as well as uh, as as your sort of origin story for mm -hmm. for listening to radio drama because um, I think more broadly in the fifties and sixties into the seventies there was still a kind of sense of radio dramas as actually being a slightly communal thing that the family would gather round the radio and yeah. listen to journey into space or whatever it mm -hmm. is um mm -hmm. but but the way the kind of way that people listen to audio drama now is much more like you did in mm -hmm. in the mid 70s because mm -hmm. most of us i think probably listen on our own maybe in a car or on headphones when you're walking the dog or jogging yeah. or mm -hmm. doing the shopping, whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. And actually that tells you something really important, I think, about audio drama, that mm -hmm. it has that, very, that kind of intimacy that it gets in your head. You know what I mean? Yeah. It literally, literally gets in your head. You see, Dan, the, the, the other people in my life, you know, my, my <laughs> wife, my children and you know, and all of that, they say, oh, no, 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 daddy, that's not why, because wearing another hat, I'm also a psychotherapist. And I do okay. have a thing for listening and listening to people and, and so on. And they, they say, oh, no, that's your slant, because when we listen to that, you, you're interpreting and you're telling us, and you're trying to tell us where the character and their motives and so on. So that's really, I, I love the intimacy. I just love yeah. it. Yeah. I, can I get agree. My earphones on, and you know, head out for a walk, and you know, you walk miles and miles before you've even read. You're you're gone. You're lost in this world of whatever it is. You mean so creative and dynamic, but you're really sucked into that world. Well, and and the thing that's so uh, interesting about that, of course, is that that's a challenge because uh, it's. I I don't think any radio writer or producer takes that audience for granted because you know as well as I do that if it's boring it's really easy to turn off you know because yeah. 
on BBC Sounds or iPlayer or whatever, there are there are hundreds and hundreds of plays you could listen to. So if this one isn't working for you, you can find something else. So one of the things that I've always thought about uh, about writing for 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 radio is how do you hook people in and keep them listening so that they you know sometimes i have to say one of the best bits of feedback i ever get is when people email and say something like you know i was listening to your play on the way home in the car Mm -hmm. and i sat in the car for 10 minutes after i got home because i wanted to finish you know wanted to finish the the the, the play and 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 of course that's a wonderful tribute i mean it's a wonderful tribute to what i wrote but also to the actors and the the sound designers and directors and producers and so on um because that's what you have to do with audio drama yeah 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 no that that's ah, that's very interesting yeah extraordinary yeah um but it has it has that capacity to 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 grip us yeah um I wonder, can we go back to, you know, you, you did say in the 50s, 60s, I thought for a minute you were going to say I was born in the 50s, there was panic in there, but um, <laughs> in the, <laughs> um, but it, it was a communal thing. And, uh, you know, we do see the photographs of the children, the family and everybody sitting around, you know, the big baker like yeah. radio and, and, and so on. Yeah. yeah. I have tried to do that, um, you know, with my wife and, and my two children, but it's very very difficult um it's, yeah it's really hard I, I i will tell you one thing one program caught them and we did sit around they're only ever 26 um actually there's a 27th there's a special i think there's there's two uh caught them and that was cabin pressure do you know how you do? You do oh, you do. <laughs> it's the most fantastic thing. And and do you want to know something really weird? Yeah. Uh, I've we've got a, we've got a seven year old son, right? And and he we I think we had it on, sort of we were just playing it ourselves. He yeah. got really into it. Actually, he was yeah. six at the time. He got really obsessed with it, and yeah. he he now knows cabin pressure off by heart it's and he's seven two. yeah 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 my two boys know every single line that's coming up and so oh yeah yeah it's fantastic yeah it's a yeah. really it's it's it you know what i kind of think it's the sort of thing that if it were on telly uh mm. we would be talking about this as one of the great british sitcoms you know up oh, there with yeah. towers and gosh, black yes. adder and and so yeah. on oh, yeah, yeah it's amazing mm-hmm. yeah Absolutely. Oh, I do. I do I really think so. Yeah. But anything else? And I have to say another one that, you know, I, I was left really crestfallen because they didn't go for the Hitchhiker's Guide in the same way. Now, they, they did and we had a little bit of success, but it just wasn't. And, you know, I've got some very favorite kind of, you know, maybe one off plays and something, but they won't. You know, it's very hard to replicate that sitting around and, and, and listening. Mm. that's that's very interesting i was i was absolutely a hitchhiker hitchhiker's guide fanatic in fact you know talking about it that would probably be my first actual experience of of genuine radio drama uh and um you know i i i thought and still think it's it's one of the most extraordinary and brilliant things ever made and never been better than when it was on the radio you know they've made tv shows they made films of it which are fine but it worked best on radio it's probably even better on the radio than the novels because he's so perfect at the way he does that thing that all good radio writers have to do which is to think about the the kind of the joke of the fact that there's nothing to see so you can just say one of the ridiculous you know conceptual idea a whale is plummeting <laughs> through space yeah. um yeah. and and you just okay that's what we're doing now you yeah. know he's he's absolutely he's he's um, an absolute genius now i have been thinking interestingly of trying to play that to our seven-year-old and there right. is a bit of me that is thinking is does it have a sort of late 70s python 
type humor that maybe is not very 21st century i don't know but i'm i'm yeah. willing to find out <laughs> oh well i'm glad to hear you're willing to find out yeah yeah <laughs> it's probably close to the conclusion i drew with with you know with my two boys because i think you know when they just absolutely devoured cabin pressure um, right but but yes maybe maybe hitchhikers is is just a little bit you know it's a little bit 70s it's certainly stamped with the 70s isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. so i wonder then we, we kind of talked a little bit you know well, what is the uniqueness then you know of radio drama or audio drama yeah. in general because we do have to remember you know there are podcasts there are all sorts of you know private outfits that are setting up now and uh, they're creating wonderful uh, audio drama it's a kind of a mix i often think between you know narrative maybe storytelling and and you know yep. audio drama yeah absolutely yeah the okay the the way I would approach this is in terms of what is unique about radio drama. The first thing I would say, and I think this is quite important, is that it isn't unique. It's hmm. the radio drama, audio drama, theater, TV, film, it's all dramatic storytelling. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's a real ecology where they they learn from each other. And, uh, you know, I don't think, when I'm writing a radio play, I'm doing something as different from, say, theatre or TV as uh, as as a novel is or poetry is from a play. Uh, I just feel like I'm doing a different kind of dramatic storytelling um, uh, that has a particular set of challenges and opportunities but uh i don't think there are i would say there are special rules if you see what i mean no no but, i do yeah yeah but having yeah. said that of course um i think what you're getting at, of course is that every dramatic form has its own kind of quirks and um, mm. peculiarities and obviously the, the 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 peculiarity of audio drama is that it's entirely told through sound mm. um and there's an interesting um i mean it's very interesting because over uh, the whole history of radio drama, uh, which is, as you may know, is just coming up to its 100th anniversary. It's the centenary yes. of radio yes, drama right. in yeah. January next year. Mm -hmm. um, uh, when, they, <laughs> when they started doing original radio plays on uh, the radio, uh, original plays on the radio, um, they obviously sat around and thought, well, how on earth is this going to work? because it's unprecedented. You've never had a, a form where there's nothing whatever to look at. So they thought, well, we've got to motivate that. So the first original radio drama on BBC was set down a coal mine during a blackout. <laughs> uh, yeah, because they thought, well, yeah. we have to motivate the fact there's yeah. nothing to see. And in fact, there's, you can find it online, the, the the addition of the Radio Times from from that from that week yeah. uh, has this little preview of it, and in that very nineteen twenties BBC way, it says uh, it says you know and listeners might like to perhaps turn the lights off in the room to replicate the experience of the characters uh -huh. in the play, um, and that's very interesting because that's them thinking, I think this is a problem we have to yes. solve. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but let mm -hmm. me tell you, there's another famous sort of anecdotal story which expresses completely the opposite view of mm -hmm. radio drama, which is that, as you uh, uh, and your your listeners know, uh, the 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 big spike in television ownership in Britain uh, happened in 1953 for the coronation of, of Queen yes. Elizabeth. And that's the point where lots and lots of people got television and, and television ownership became a mass phenomenon. There is a story that a couple of years later, uh, because at the time you had to buy a television license and a radio license, mm -hmm. uh, a woman apparently sent back her uh, television to the showroom uh, and stopped her TV license. And when she was asked why you want to uh, you just want radio she said i prefer radio because the pictures are better 
<laughs> Terry Wogan. Terry Wogan used to say that a lot. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> well, it's a it's a classic uh, yeah. uh, saying. But of course, yeah. what's interesting about it? It really does express the opposite of the blackout down the coal mine. It says uh, that radio drama is doesn't. It's not that it doesn't have anything to look at. Yeah. It is a richly visual uh, uh, medium. It's just yeah. those images are in your head. Yes. And yeah. I think that, that that is how you deal with the relationship between images and sound, how you populate people's imaginations. That's absolutely, absolutely key. And it's at the heart of what you have to do when you're making audio drama. Yeah, yeah, so very true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I actually think it's it definitely, it's, it's more than pictures, but... Um, mm. Where did we go the other week? Did we go to Dublin? Um, and my family hate going to Dublin with me because basically it's an hour and a half in the car each way and it's radio plays, you know. Um, oh. But what was that one called? It's not It's not the night shift. I'll get the minute. Oh, again, the minute. Um, but basically it was a tense uh, kind of situation where, you know, there was a housing crisis and there was a problem with the family in Liverpool and so on. Mm. Basically it's 45 minutes of pure tension and uh, my wife's sitting beside me and she's saying you know paul my nerves are wrecked here <laughs> <laughs> and i do think i do think you know once you get into it as you said it grips you at the beginning and yeah. um, not only are the pictures better but you know the, the visceral is is so real it really mm. really uh lures you into and, and you know it can be anywhere and anywhere in the world any circumstance any situation that's another thing i like about it um, oh well i think that's really important because there's one again you've been asking about the things that are specific to radio drama yeah. uh, unlike theater tv and film uh it is uh no more expensive to set your scene on mars than yeah. to set it in manchester yeah. you know so of course what that says to me as a writer is well why don't we have the scene on mars because mm -hmm. because you know it's quite hard to do it in other yeah. other modes and uh, and forms of of storytelling but mm -hmm. it literally is no more difficult so you should have that freedom and that flexibility to just let your imagination roam and go and go wild so uh, so yeah, I think absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it annoys me that more radio drama isn't uh, uh, as imaginative as that, because uh, I always think that's not using the medium. But then, of course, you know, you want to tell a, a, a different stories. But yeah, I, I think that's really, really important. You can go anywhere so yeah. easily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, you know. <laughs> You know, recently you went to Sicily with a, an echo that takes 32 years to come around, you know, <laughs> fabulous, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, Dan, before I get my knuckles wrapped here, we better, I, I could talk to you all day and, and, and <laughs> go down any number of avenues here, but we'd better kind of tie this or link this in some way, you know, maybe to schools and teaching and, yeah. you know, maybe think about how, you know, it could be used in, in in a classroom or school now i'm retired now after 37 years of teaching oh. I, I did occasionally use little bits of um you know radio drama i thought you know it was good in ways for helping children maybe to understand a novel and maybe you know given some of the children i used to teach they wouldn't have read the novel and they wouldn't have been paying too much attention when you were going through i remember um, there's a good version of uh, Animal Farm, and uh -huh. I remember playing. And I, I think it's fairly sharp. I think it's you know maybe two hours or something. Huh. And you know we did the novel. I love the novel. It's great and so on. And you just get a sense that children haven't been all with you. So, but we played the radio play, and you know it worked. It, it was good. It certainly contributed or added something. Hmm. But I wonder, you know, I, that's I think that's a fairly blunt instrument way of using audio in the classroom. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that's a, a, a great thing to do because also I think what you can 
for example, I would think that if you're teaching Animal Farm and you play uh, it, not even the whole thing, if you play like a mm -hmm. key scene, yeah. you know, there's a really interesting conversation that can be started with saying how different is that from the way you imagined Animal Farm when yeah. you read it? Because then you start, it starts getting people to refine and clarify the thoughts they had in their head, where those came from, you know, locating them in the text, uh, while you know, hopefully understanding that any adaptation is going to have to make specific decisions. But, you know, um, you can, uh, I think that that could be a, a very useful way of getting them to really think quite hard about the things that they, because mostly I suppose reading is a, a relatively unconscious process mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily always think very hard about the images that are coming into our head when we read but it can get you to start really focusing those and as I say if you're taking those back into the text to say well so you thought that person would have for example a softer voice why did you think that? Is there something yeah. in the text that tells you that? Is it something in the rhythm of the language and the sentences? Is it a description that Orwell's offered us? You know, mm -hmm. I think those are real possibilities. Yeah, I think so. Yes, uh, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. We've mentioned imagination a couple of times, and I wonder um, what, what's the link then between audio drama and imagination? Is there a link? Is there. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, and this is just a, such a big and fascinating, interesting area, mm -hmm. which is that, which is about, I think, for me, I think one of the things that clarified for me how radio drama works is that when I say, and I've used this phrase a couple of times, I think, that a radio drama populates your imagination. Um, I don't, I don't think it populates your imagination in the same way that seeing things populates your retina if you see what i mean yeah. so well, let me say yeah. that more give you an example of that what i mean is that images in the imagination are very different from optical images and a, an example of that would be if i pull if i say to you now <clears throat> i'd like you to imagine a man mm -hmm. and then i say what was that man wearing black shoes it's, he wasn't, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's quite likely that you might mm -hmm. say, um, I don't know, mm -hmm. because I hadn't imagined that bit, you know? Mm -hmm. You can, in your imagination, you can imagine people in or things and scenes and events in quite an indeterminate, fuzzy way, and they make perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas, obviously, you can't see a person, assuming it's... But there's nothing obstructing mm. them and it's it's well lit and so on you can't see them without knowing whether they're wearing black shoes or not mm -hmm. and 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 so without wanting to take us too far into a sort of philosophy of mind discussion the 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 kinds of images that are being set up by a radio play um are interestingly fuzzy and resonant images rather than as it were you're trying to minutely give them a sort of high definition extremely granular picture of a cinematic type experience and that's fun because you can then really start to play with that because you can you can um give people the impression that one sort of thing is happening and then you can quite easily transform it into a very different scene in a way that uh, it would sort of give the game away. You know, if you're, if, I don't know, if, for example, this came up this afternoon, I was teaching radio drama with my, with my undergraduate students. And one of them came up with the idea of uh, somebody talking to someone and you think that it's a customer talking to them in a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. And then perhaps, and you'll like this, it you realize, oh, it's actually a psychotherapy session. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that sort of thing, if you're seeing exactly what's happening, well, you know it's in a coffee shop or it's in a therapy room. But on the radio, you can make it indeterminate in a way that allows you to make those shifts. Um, and yeah, what are the implications of that then? 
Well, I think the implications of that are that when you write a radio play or when you're editing and and directing a radio play, um, you need to be aware that you're you are trying to put images in people's heads. Yeah. But as I say, you're not it's not terribly important that you're you're saying extremely precise things sometimes you yeah. you hear radio plays where i think the writer has got very anxious about uh well i have to make this visual so the characters mm. sort of discuss the shape of the room and the color of the walls and the nature of the furniture um, but you don't have to do any of that. You just need to evoke it in a certain way and people will do all that work for you. So really less is more? Uh, yes, I think that's yeah. always a good rule in dramatic writing. Yes, yeah. So then I kind of want to ask you, um, what, what's the relationship then in terms of imagination? Do Do we need, you know a modicum of imagination to engage with and listen well to a radio play? Or does the radio play then, or, 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 you know, it's not one or the other necessarily, you know, does that boost our imagination? Does that really, you know, is it like fertilizer for our imagination? Or? Ah, that's, that's such an interesting question. I don't know that I've ever thought of it like that, but, but that seems to me quite plausible. You know, that mm. that actually if you're, you know, if you just watch TV and hey, TV, we have been in a golden age of TV for the last 20 years. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's wonderful. But if you just watch TV and everything is sort of shown to you and everything mm. is demonstrated and it's quite literal, mm. uh, that might impoverish the imagination. Whereas there is something about radio play that is always going to. You know, it's always about hint and suggestion and uh, and allowing you to do that work. And, and, and as you say, unique, you know, unique to to the listener. You know, 10,000 people listen to, you know, a car exhaust and a car accelerating uh, <laughs> in a radio play. That car is going to be a different color, a different make, a different brand or whatever. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's fascinating, you see, and I, I know any time I used little bits and pieces and, you know, snippets of, of um, audio drama in school, it was with a view maybe to doing two things, you know, maybe trying to stimulate and grow or develop imagination. And certainly secondly, and this kind of ties in with both careers I have, I think it's a very, very... It's a magnificent vehicle for developing empathy, um, you know, both as a yeah. listener and, and yeah. Mm. I think because it's it's that thing that the 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 listener has to do a little bit of extra work. Yeah. That that means that they sort of, if it works, of course, and if they're prepared to do that, that they're they're going to that buying in sort yeah. of implicates them a bit and as i say because it almost literally if you've got headphones on it yeah. literally gets in your head and you can feel very immersed in it i think mm -hmm. yeah it does it absolutely does do that you're in amongst the characters yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah i think it's good um i went through a, a short period of time um might have been three or four years, you know, with a class or two each year of um, bringing in, um, I don't know if you know Andrew Sachs' radio play, The Revenge. Oh, yes, absolutely. No words. Yeah. There are no words yeah. in it. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you, you bring uh, children in, you get them into a language lab or something and you put earphones on. It's fascinating. I, I don't, I, what is it, 15, 20 minutes? It's short enough, I think. Yeah. Um, to kind of hold them in ways, but um, it's fascinating after that. It's fascinating afterwards to to talk to them and uh, and then maybe do little bits of creative talking and listening or writing after that, and so on. But yeah, it kind of gives it stimulates them in different ways. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and there's something quite good as well about the uh, the way that 
the radio doesn't have uh, the sort of cultural cachet that television does, that possibly means they're not intimidated by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, th and there's that private sense maybe as well, you know, nobody really knows what they're listening to when they've got their earphones in. Well, Oh, we might have lost Dan here. We'll just check the sound here. Can you hear me? Dan, are you still? Hello, got you back, yeah? Yeah, sorry, something happened with my headphones. So I'm, uh, but I think no I'm worries, back now. No worries, no worries. Yeah, we've got you back now, loud and clear, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was saying, you know, when children have their earphones in, um, you know, that it's a kind of private world. Nobody knows what they're listening to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I, I, again, I go back to that thought that there's there's a certain kind of intimacy and privacy. Uh, you know, typically, you know, I often I'm listening to a radio play when I'm doing the washing up or the cooking or yeah. you know when I'm out running or something like that. And those, of course, are very solitary kind of experiences, and that can, you know, shape the emotional experience of listening to a radio play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what about young people and kind of audio drama and so <laughs> on? Is it, is it a losing battle? Is it is it a winning battle? Is it? Oh, it's absolutely a winning battle at the moment. Uh, because, yeah, well, because, so here's the thing. So I've been writing radio plays for 25 years, something like that. And when I started, I think to buy the equipment you would need to, to make an, a, a broadcast quality radio drama um, yeah. would probably cost you north of a million pounds because you probably need a studio you'd need a very very expensive soundboard you would need very expensive microphones recording equipment and all that sort of stuff now you can buy a digital recorder that will record as i say broadcast quality material for mm -hmm. less than 200 quid mm -hmm. uh, and you just need a good microphone the editing software is free uh if you're working in a school you know your cast and crew are free uh yeah. you can find yeah. royalty free music royalty free uh, sound effects uh mm -hmm. again free online you can i'm gonna say for an outlay of not much more than 200 quid you can have a setup that allows you to make completely broadcast quality um uh, radio dramas, audio dramas. Um, now, uh, that has happened uh, over the last 10, 15 years, and there is a lot of audio drama around. I mean, I've mainly, mainly written for the BBC, but actually, you can do it yourself, and yeah. people have been doing it themselves, and so quite a lot of young people are listening to audio drama quite a lot. I mean, there are there are sort of TikTok audio dramas and things like that. Um, and I uh, I told you that today I was uh, teaching a, a, a class on, on radio drama. Um, I hadn't, this is the first time I've actually taught a course, I've set up a course on radio drama for my students. And I've always been a bit reluctant because I think even I, <laughs> with my affection for, for, for radio drama, have thought, oh, well, they're gonna think radio drama is a very old fashioned, thing mm, but yeah. it's an enormously popular course and mm. you know i've had to turn people away from doing it and i you realize it is part of certainly my students dramatic vocabulary in a way that i would say 20 years ago it definitely wasn't mm. mm -hmm. yeah that, that, that's surprising me a little now pleasing but you know, a little bit, uh, a little bit surprising. But I suppose when I think about it, and I see my two boys, you know, they are accessing kind of. Um, it won't be the BBC necessarily, of course, no. but it'll be other sources that they're. Yeah. Yeah. Well, podcasts. I mean, there are a lot of yeah. very good 
audio drama podcasts and yeah. and of course that's the other thing you don't have to wait for the bbc to ask you to to work for them you can yeah. make it yourself and just put it put it out yeah. and that's very exciting i think in a school obviously you, you, there, there are various sorts of safeguarding things careful about identifying people too closely but you know the students really can genuinely make their own radio play and put it out to the world yeah, yeah. that's great I think it's fantastic. Yes, I, I think it's absolutely first class. Um, and one of the things I really like about it is, you know, as a teacher, I suppose a third hat I had is um, careers. Um, uh -huh. I taught careers education all my life. And I was just thinking a little bit about it today. Uh, so if you were to try to set something like this up in a school, as you say, you know, your equipment used to cost a million. Now it's 200. But you've also got your range of other people. Yes, you have your writers, and we'll, yeah. we'll maybe come back to that in a second. You've got your actors and, and your your kind of key players, but then you've got your your people in the background. You know, you've got yep. your engineers, you've got your sound recorders, you've got your directors, yep. you've got your people who are kind of, and, and so on and so on. I think it's a fabulous insight into a whole industry, and I mean, a kind of a gateway into the wider, bigger industry of uh, kind of drama and theater and film and TV and so on. I, I would be encouraging schools to, to do something like that. I, I certainly would. And uh, I mean, one of the things I think that's really good about that, that you've exactly just said, you know, if you think the the role of the writer, the director, the actor, the sound recorder, the person who marks up the script mm -hmm. the person who edits the sound at the end the person who perhaps is in charge of the whole process and making yeah. sure people are in the right place at the right time yeah. the person who's mm -hmm. in charge of getting it on social media these mm -hmm. are all very different types of students i think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um probably i would say a broader range than you would get in a kind of drama class actually because mm -hmm. you get the people who go I couldn't act to save my life, but I really love the idea of working a boom mic and, you know, sort of yeah. making sure that everyone is properly recorded and figuring out clever ways of turning this sound effect into something completely different. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's that that's, that's really important. As a kind of practical um, thought for how this might also interact with other subjects you talked a bit about your animal animal farm story mm -hmm. um i i think there's a really interesting thought what if you're studying animal farm what if you spend a week saying how would you adapt this for radio yeah and making obviously maybe not making the whole of animal farm but you know making a big interesting section of it and get people to write it, get people to, 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 to perform it, get it recorded, edited, add the sound effects, and then see what we think about it. Again, it's going to, uh, it's going to start telling uh, the students in a very vivid and sort of lived experience way, they're going to have to start grappling with things like, what does character mean? in a novel yeah. what does structure mean what is tension and drive and those sorts of things so i think there are all sorts of uses for it i i think that's a tremendously important kind of core thing that um audio drama can do in a school uh, whether you're listening to it whether you're writing it whether you're trying to mount it and put it on but it gives you that really insight into a piece of literature you know maybe or whatever and you can write a sketch i mean you can do a short five minute sketch you know with yep, absolutely. Uh, the, the 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 pigs trying to take down the signs on animal farm or something yeah 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 yep. you're not climbing ladders health and safety will be happy <laughs> we hope <laughs> yeah, yeah great um i i think it's fantastic yeah it's it's a great and an underused resource hmm. um dan i could talk to you for weeks about this and yes we would skirt in and out of education but just in general uh no i think we have yes i think we've managed to keep it fairly well focused uh on uh, schools and and so on and i think we've done a good job of promoting 
um, <laughs> audio drama. And it's at this time of the show I generally ask a question. Dan, if you had a magic wand and you had only one spell you could cast, what change would you make to education that would significantly improve the lot of teachers? Oh, well, I should say my wife is a teacher, so I, oh, right. I really okay. should, I should pro she should probably answer this question. Um, <laughs> is, it, uh, is it too obvious to say money? Okay, yeah, I think well, that would be very welcome. Uh, well, I, I was listening at the beginning of the hour, I was listening to the, the news item about Gillian Keegan saying that students have been saying we like our porter cabins yes. more than our classrooms and i really don't think that's the knockdown argument that she thinks it is okay. you know if people are thinking this porter cabin is actually better than the classroom that i'm in yeah. um that's not a good thing and you know also i would say this my wife is a teacher but you know i i think teachers are just extraordinary they should be the heroes of our culture uh and it wouldn't hurt to that to to get that impression more widely understood if teachers were had really good salaries and this is not the way we've been going for the last 13 years yeah, it's not really it's not really no no and Dan, that question usually kind of ends the program, but you just sparked something in my mind there, and I, I'll just, I'll just uh, kind of tap your brains on it at the minute. As a broad brush, as, as just broadly, how are teachers portrayed in drama, whether it's audio, whether it's stage, whether it's television, films? Oh, that's really, that's really interesting. Um, uh, my sense is you never, ever see a, or you very very rarely see a normal classroom yeah. it, it's mm -hmm. it's either the highly charismatic you know dead poet society type teacher who ch yeah. changes everyone's lives in a yeah. totally in a maverick way or else yeah. it's the classroom where everyone is throwing paper airplanes and the hapless teacher is unable to keep control my yeah. my sense is that virtually every classroom is somewhere between those and you rarely see that mm -hmm. so i'd like to see more of that yeah yeah i i always kind of wonder just how the the archetype is presented i, I never think the archetype kind of gets presented in a way that it teachers deserve you know mm. i always just I just wonder yeah i mean the, th the thing that's difficult of course is that if you're if you're trying to make a drama you you need a bit of of, of conflict a bit of energy a bit of this sort of thing the thought of having uh your drama entirely being a very competent teacher pretty effectively teaching a geography lesson is obviously not going to make for very great drama it doesn't but it we need to but no. we do need to find a way of making sure that teachers are not painted in a in a ridiculous way that encourages the negative perceptions that people tend to have yeah i, I think it's i think it's critically important because um and and and, and you know we, we we really need to end the show now and i don't want to open up sure. a whole new thing but um I have an argument with a few friends about about issues and I talk an awful lot about the influence of, you know, television, drama, films and, and so on. I actually think it's much more powerful to present arguments through story, through creativity, yeah. through films, uh, you know, through audio drama, through novels, poetry and so on, than, you know, to stand up and just get the blunt kind of rhetoric. Um, I couldn't agree more. I, I I think that's an extraordinary powerful. And it's very often kind of the, the direct blow is missed and the subtlety lands deeper in the listeners, yeah. the viewers, the observers, and it kind of descends into the person and percolates and kind of comes out later as, you know, positive attitudes or wisdom or insight or 
And I think that's the power of people like you, the power of people like writers who are extraordinarily skilled with excellent first-class imaginations who uh, time after time, you know, give us great entertainment. But as we've seen over the course of an hour, not only is it entertainment, but there's an awful lot of education, maturity, uh, you know, growing of imagination and so on that happens with, with our creatives. Well, Paul, you make me want to write something set in a school. <laughs> Watch that space. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'm so sorry it's only an hour, but I will definitely be having you back on the podcast. And we'll push the boundaries of talking about drama and we'll edge in a little bit of education and schooling as well. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks, Paul. Dan, thank you very much. Take care now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.